imagine that you have a big beach ball and you're pressing it underwater, right? So you're using a lot of energy and force to keep it down. Oh, is that sustainable? No. Right, and so what happens eventually with the beach ball? It comes up. Yeah, it pops right back up, okay? And so that's what happens when we bottle our emotions, right? First of all, it takes so much energy to push them down and try to like make them go away. That's where some of that suffering can come in because you're using all your energy to do that and you can't do all the other things that you might be helpful. Welcome to the Level Up Growth Podcast, the podcast where you can learn ways to take your personal development and growth a step further so that you can be the person you want to be and have the life you want to have. I'm Grace, a naturopathic doctor. And I'm Kelsey, a registered clinical counselor. We've both been on and continue to be on our own personal growth journeys. And on this show, we'll explore a range of topics that we can all use to level up our minds, bodies, emotions, and spirit. So let's get started on today's episode. Welcome back to the Level Up Grove podcast with Kelsey and Grace. We're so happy to have you back and we'll be talking about a few different things today, mostly things regarding empathy and emotional regulation, because I have a personal story to share about that. And I think yes. Kelsey has something to share about our previous episode today first. Yeah, yeah. Before we get into our topic today, I want to talk about, we always record these in advance, just so everybody knows. So the episode that just came out the week that we're recording is the one on Socrates and that quote about that we related to personal growth. And I just want to say that my partner listened to the episode and she's like, Grace was right (laughs) in that we don't have original thoughts. And she said this, yeah, I'm going to give people a bit of a backstory. So my partner and I have the same first name. We're both Kelsey and we're just hilarious. And we're also just like on paper, we're very different people, different careers, some different interests, some overlap, but you know, we're very different. But in reality, we're very much the same. We will have the same mannerisms. We'll do the exact same things at the same time. We'll have the same thoughts very frequently and we'll often say them at the same time and so she's like see we don't have original thoughts (laughs) oh my gosh so I just wanted to share that because I thought it was hilarious and I was like "Hmm." (laughs) funny wow that's so funny just so everyone knows Kelsey did not tell me this earlier and now I feel incredibly validated (laughs) and that was really lovely (laughs) it's not that I think that we don't have original thoughts in the, in the proof is that, oh, you guys will both say the same thing at the same time or something more. It's like you have so many external influences, right? How can yeah. you be original? Yeah, no. And just it was just really funny the way it related to us specifically. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That is hilarious. Yeah. Okay. So everyone today, hopefully you enjoyed that. Hopefully most people agreed with me <laughs> and that we don't have original thoughts and we are not original or unique, but not to let that get us down by any means it's actually quite liberating so okay. oh, yeah we're gonna gross <laughs> that one all right so today <laughs> yeah. we're gonna talk about we're gonna talk about empathy and emotion regulation today yeah and so I wanted to share a personal story that happened this week so I was in counseling and then I have someone close to me that is going through basically substance use disorder 
And as an outsider, the counseling is meant to, well, meant to kind of help me understand how I can support this person because I care about him. So in the sessions, usually I'll just cry the whole time. <laughs> and, and I don't feel distressed per se, but I definitely, the tears are so surface level and quick to arise. And I was talking to her, the counselor, and she said that she was saying that I clearly am really emotionally affected by this and perhaps that I need to set better boundaries so I don't feel this type of empathy distress. And my rebuttal, which Kelsey, you can correct me, but I was like, I don't think I'm being stubborn per se. I just think that I, I do feel empathy distress right now because we're talking about it. And But once the session's over, I don't carry that with me throughout my day or my other behaviors. I don't think, but I could obviously on a subconscious level. And if I am, I would definitely like to be made aware of that because I know that our cognition and then maybe what our body's feeling is very different or at odds. And she had replied with, even if you feel suffering once a month, so in this session, like it's bringing up a lot for you, that's too much. Like that's one time too much. And then me being me, <laughs> like, is that too much? I don't, it, to me, it's not that much once a month to like take on the suffering of not even take on, but I guess to feel the suffering of someone else or just see someone you care about suffer makes me really emotional, even though I know I don't have, you know, I'm not responsible or obligated for their well being per se, I still get emotional about it. And I guess in my personal view right now, which is very open to change, I feel that if I, you know, suffer, quote unquote, once or twice a month because of this experience, that's okay. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. It's And she tried to make the point as in, she's like, okay, I'll give you extreme example in that you have a friend that just the most basic, like domestic abuse, stereotypical, your friend is beating his partner. Every time he beats her, he feels really guilty after and apologize profusely. And then it happens again and again do you feel for your friend, like for this person? And I said, yes, of course, because I guess that behavior to me means that they're probably suffering with something or like going through something themselves. So I don't know if the point that she was trying to make really hit home for me, <laughs> but mm -hmm. that's why we were talking about the, we want to talk about empathy today. And what I did get out of that is that I need, I don't need, but I would like to develop better emotional regulation during those sessions, perhaps. Because during those sessions, maybe I am more in that like threat or anxiety related and I don't have enough soothing. But at the same time, I wonder, isn't that the point of these sessions? Like I, I don't need to soothe myself. I don't know during this time, but obviously in my regular life, I, I do need to. <laughs> what do you think? Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I mean, I have lots of thoughts, like also being a counselor. So yeah. um, first of all, so I'm curious, if you use the word suffering, it doesn't sound like you use the word suffering before that. No, I didn't. I used it. So, I adopted her language. Yeah. Okay. Is it suffering? I don't know. What's suffering? Mm. <laughs> so, I mean, we could probably look up an actual definition of suffering, but I think for what I see suffering as is you are really hurting in a kind of uncontrollable way. Okay. And so how would I know if I'm suffering? I think people just know. Like, I think you would know if you were suffering. Okay. 
right? It's so maybe overwhelming or, you know, like you're struggling so much with it that it is, especially if it's affecting your life in other areas, which it doesn't sound like it is. So, I mean, like I would argue maybe it's not suffering, but I mean, I thought it depends on how you feel about it. I mean, I, I don't think so, but again, that's my cognition, right? Maybe I'm just overriding my actual emotions or whatnot, kind of like mm-hmm. downplaying them. I don't think so, but I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. And another thing was I always cry in these sessions, right? So I was thinking, is that a good measure of me suffering? Like I feel... Or am I just feeling emotions and they're being, they're leaking out of my face? Like, is that what mm-hmm. that is? Or is that an actual measure? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's interesting that she would use that as a measure of suffering. I wouldn't necessarily. So I mean, have you been to counseling before? Yeah, I have with someone okay. else, but like okay. many, many years ago. Did, did you, did you ever like cry in sessions, that kind of thing? Tons. I cry all okay. the time. Okay. <laughs> I cried watching you guys. I watched Creed 1 and 2 the other week. I cried both times. Okay. It was I, so emotional. No, guys, I, I have so much empathy that I cried during the end of Fred Claus because it was so happy. <laughs> same, same. But like, but like, do you feel, I guess, distressed? Because I don't feel, you know, I don't know. It's like, okay, I'm crying because I'm so overwhelmed by emotion. And then it passes and like, I'm going to go back to, I don't know, reading my book or going to bed or going out. <laughs> whatever right. it is sure and a movie example sure of course like if i'm hoping mm-hmm. you're just crying during the movie and i'm not taking that with you and mm-hmm. i definitely cried during lots of movies and definitely don't take it with me after i mean the only exception might have been like when i first saw schindler's list because that kind of destroyed me for a whole day and then sophie's choice was another one that destroyed me for a while but otherwise no, typically wouldn't take that with me i think it's really what's interesting is in counseling i want to make sure that the environment is safe enough that my clients can express any emotion that comes up for them. So crying in session, I don't think is a bad thing. And often I will have clients who are like, oh, like, I'm so sorry for crying. And I'm just pushing the Kleenex, if it's in person, and pushing the Kleenex mm-hmm. spots closer to them. I'm like, no, no, that's why the Kleenex is here. Or if it's a telehealth, I'll be like, oh, do you have Kleenex nearby? You should always have some Kleenex nearby in your sessions because you never know what's going to happen, <laughs> right? And just try to really normalize that. Yes, like, I actually think it's better. That's it's supposed to be a safe place to let that emotion out. If the emotion is affecting your day-to-day life, And I think that's where distress would come in or or how I see it, right? Whereas if you were so emotional about this issue that you were having trouble seeing patients and you couldn't interact with your friends properly, or you were spending your time at home in bed crying about it, or just super unmotivated to do things, like if it was affecting kind of your daily life, then I would say, yeah, that is suffering. That is distress and suffering. But in a just kind of exclusive to a counseling session, no, I think that might just be a release. I don't know. What do you think? Mm, Yeah. I mean, that's definitely, I think what I want to hear, (laughs) you know, because I, I want to be right, obviously that I don't feel distress or if I feel distress, it's not, yeah, affecting my relationships with my partner or friends or work or what I'm doing outside of that. I think about, okay, if I had a patient come in with substance use disorder, would that affect me, right? Would that be more Mm. direct correlation? And I think if anything, I'd be even more empathetic 
towards that type of situation as opposed to, which maybe could cloud my judgment. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, it was, I needed to hear that. I think Kelsey, <laughs> so thank you. A little bit of distress is okay. Cause you feel like you're, because you're feeling empathy for someone, right? Like yeah. you're feeling empathy for this other person and like having a little bit of that is not bad at all. Empathy is a good thing. Most people would consider that <laughs> If you don't have empathy, like we're talking about like, antisocial personality disorder. It's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we all want to have some empathy, right? It It is a socially positive thing in the world to have. So it's just that kind of idea of like letting it overwhelm you is not necessarily a good thing. But, yeah, definitely. Yeah, in I, general. I think one part that she really emphasized was initially... I think because we are just getting to know each other, she's trying to assess, do I feel responsible for their well-being? Do I feel responsible if they, you know, really fall back into the addiction quite heavily? And I think now I don't, I don't feel obligation to go right away if they are in distress, right? Or if if they're in a safe spot in the hostel, right? Or I don't know toss all my plans out the window just to be there for them. Whereas maybe in the beginning, when this kind of first started happening, like that would definitely happen because it's so new. Now that's been years, I feel a little bit more desensitized to it, even though I still worry. And I also am like, is that is that a bad thing? You know, being desensitized? Or where's that boundary between not that boundary, but that line between caring about someone and wanting to be there for them? but also not walking on eggshells around them so that you can, you know, assert your boundaries. You can not drop everything to be at their beck and call all the time in fear that they might, you know, relapse or harm themselves or do something. Mm -hmm. So that line I think is still being sussed out for me, (laughs) but Mm -hmm. I think it's important for people to know that it's not your responsibility to take on other people's emotions or be responsible for their well-being, even though part of compassion is to be sensitive to suffering and then try to alleviate that suffering. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So I encounter this a lot. So in my personal life, if let's say a partner or you know a friend is in distress or anxious or depressed right I have to especially if I'm around when suddenly it's it's kind of triggered for them I have to be very conscious of this is not my fault right and not take on responsibility for that and just like they would have to be the same right I am triggered by something Mm. I I don't want them to take responsibility that's not their fault either I think just kind of having that that awareness around that and taking that moment to like step back and just remind yourself this is probably nothing to do with me and then you have that opportunity to be both empathetic and compassionate And then, you know, career-wise, I mean, this happens for me all the time. Like, this is literally, to be a good counselor, you have to be, you have to have empathy. And and I have a lot of empathy. And one thing I learned a lot, especially when I was going, when I was doing my master's, was how to emotionally regulate that and how to not take responsibility. So if I have a client who is, and this is the hardest example for counselors to learn, but if I have a client who's suicidal, I can do all the things that I that are in my power to help this client through that. But ultimately, if they decide to take their life, that is their choice. And it's not, I can't stop that from happening. Right. And it's, you know, and there is that emotional pull. Of, oh my God, I, I really feel for my client. I really want to help them. And 
yet that that part is so out of my control. And 70% of counselors lose a client to suicide. So the chances are pretty high that that will happen at least once in my career. Hopefully not. I really don't want it to happen because that would be absolutely terrible. And so realizing that like, yes, there are things that I can do to help this person, but I can't make that decision. And it's the same thing if someone has substance use disorder and, you know, we're working together and then they start using again. That is not my fault, but I can sit with them with using empathy and compassion and, you know, again, meet them where they're at and help them try to help them back through. And, and, you know, even it it could be, basically could be any issue that someone comes to counseling with. And sometimes I will show empathy. Sometimes I will feel some, a little bit of like, you know, emotion in my face. And usually what I just do is tell the client, Hey, I'm really here with you right now. I'll just call it out because they can see it. Hey, like I'm really here with you and I want us to work together through this. So that you're supported and you're getting what you need. And then you mentioned, sorry, this is a really long tangent, but no, I like it. (laughs) You mentioned if you had like a client or patient come in, but substance use disorder, would you like, how would you feel about it? And I have clients with childhood trauma, relational, different than mine, but in the general range. And absolutely, I feel for them. And I have probably more empathy for them because of some similarities, the key is learning to not take that on, right? So at the end of the day, when my shift quote unquote is over, when I'm done with the client or done with all my clients for the day, like mentally punching out, right? So I used to work in retail, we do a punch clock. So mentally I got to punch out so that I don't take that on for the rest of my day. I've never been triggered in session by a client's story, but I can definitely really feel for them. And then kind of mm. taking those feelings into not just empathy, but compassion and so that I can help them. But I think that's a really hard thing to learn. And I, you know, obviously like I went through a master's program with a practicum and, and all that. And even since then, I still have to, you know, kind of check in with myself. Okay. How am I doing after that? What can I do for myself mm. the self-care after that? Right. So that I can continue to show up in a way and not burn out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very good points. I think for a lot of people, and myself included, the emotional regulation part, it's, it's easy to know that that's important. Like, here's when I feel like threatened or anxious, angry, and then these things make me feel soothed or content or safe. Then I have my incentives, but it's easy to conceptualize that difficult to know when you might need more of one emotional system in that moment. So Obviously, in a counseling session, you're with someone who's there to support you. When you are not in that, you know, formal session, you're out there in the world on your own. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so how do you develop this type of interoception, basically, to internally regulate, to know when you need regulation? Mm-hmm. Is there skills? Is there practices? Mm-hmm. So what much. do you think? There are so many <laughs> Yeah, because I just know for myself, I'm definitely getting better now, but I would just kind of, it's how I was brought up basically, right? My parents are immigrants. They, they're very much not emotional people on the outside. Clearly they have their own things, but it's like, you don't need emotion regulation. It's not something that you should be aware of or do. You just kind of override it with cognition if that's a thing. So it's been a slow learning process as an adult to be more internally aware of when I might be triggered or when I might be, I don't know, pushed in a way that I don't think I need to be or should be or in a way that's not beneficial. So 
So do you have any tips for people to develop that internal awareness or interoception? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I mean, this is, this is a it's lot. huge. Yeah. I know. <laughs> so, okay. So let's start with this. I want to talk about feelings, but I'm going to use two metaphors to explain. So the first metaphor is imagine that you have a big beach ball and you're pressing it underwater, right? So you're using a lot of energy and force to keep it down. Oh, is that sustainable? No. Right. And so what happens eventually with the beach ball? It comes up. Yeah. It pops right back up. Okay. And so that's what happens when we bottle our emotions, right? First of all, it takes so much energy to push them down and try to like make them go away. That's where some of that suffering can come in because you're using all your energy to do that. And you can't do all the other things that you might be helpful. Okay. So that's that metaphor one. Metaphor two. So, you know, in those action adventure movies, when they're in the jungle and then someone falls into quicksand. Mm-hmm. And then inevitably they're like struggling and flailing. And then what happens when they struggle? They sink more. They sink more, right? And so do you know <laughs> how to survive if you actually fell into quicksand? No idea. You actually just don't move. You lay flat, kind of like a starfish, and then you will float to the top. And then you can take really slow swim strokes to get out. Okay. So okay. you accept. <laughs> okay. Right. And so right, when we struggle with an emotion, when we kind of get swept away by it, right, it becomes worse and worse and worse and worse. And so that, that is not the answer either. Right. So we don't want to push them down and we don't want to get swept away. And the emotional regulation I kind of see is like being in the middle of those two where we, yeah, we accept or we feel the emotion, but we don't let it control us. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I, I think that's kind of a good starting point for that. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I think that for at least the patients that I see, a lot of them, they they aren't so, and maybe my judgment is wrong or how I'm assessing the situation is incorrect, but from what they tell me and how they're speaking, I observe that they are under a lot of stress or they feel a lot of emotional turmoil per se, but when asked directly, they'll say, no, I... <laughs> feel Mm. fine right so either it's denial or just plain they don't they don't recognize it they don't know what that feels like or maybe my assessment of the situation is incorrect those are all possibilities so I guess what would be a way like how would you yes people that want to be more internally aware maybe they don't recognize even for myself I'm questioning oh am I actually distressed in that period. Like, I don't know. I never thought I was, but that's why I'm in the session. I want you to, you know, kind of point me or guide me in that direction, not tell me what to do, but just if you observe me as being distressed, I want to know Mm -hmm. Um, because in my mind, I'm not. (laughs) Mm. So, okay. So this kind of leads into a discussion of dissociation. And so dissociation can mean a lot of things, but one of the things that it means is that we're not connected to what's happening in our body. So one of my favorite questions to ask a client, especially on the first session I have with them, but often throughout, well, basically in every session, but what are you noticing in your body? What do you feel? What does that emotion feel like in your body? And when a client says they don't feel anything or they don't know, that is a sign to me that they are dissociating from their internal experience. They really, they're not connecting. They, they, they literally can't feel it because their brain's not letting them. And dissociation, I just want to normalize. So everybody dissociates all the time. 
if you daydream, you are dissociating. Okay, so dissociation is normal, it's not a bad thing. Sometimes it's unhelpful though, right? And so it's your brain's way of protecting you often, especially when it comes to these emotions, which probably have been overwhelming for you in the past. When your, your brain is like, I don't want you to suffer, I don't want you to hurt like that, so we're just going to not even recognize that they're there. And this kind of ties into the beach ball metaphor, right? And so mm-hmm. your brain's just naturally doing this, it's not even like a conscious thing. In order to work with any kind of emotion, you have to be able to feel it. And it, right. And so that's kind of the starting point. The starting point is just to notice, okay, when your intellectual brain is saying, I feel angry, let's use it as an example. Okay. And to take a step and notice, okay, what am I feeling in my body right now? If you're not feeling anything or you're not sure what you're feeling, that is a sign that you're dissociating. So there is something happening in your body because an emotion is or is a feeling in your body. That is the definition of mm. it, right? So there is something happening there. You're just not aware. If you can actually name what's happening in your body, I feel hot. I, you know, I feel a tightness in my chest. I feel, you know, shaky. Okay, you are in touch with what's happening. So I think that's kind of starting point number one. One thing I often do with clients when they do dissociate is just gently start to notice into the body. So way you can do that is with a body scan which is a meditative practice that sometimes people will use for relaxation or but i often use it with clients for either yeah dissociation or if they have chronic pain so that it's (laughs) can be more accepted but dissociation wise okay so you just basically lay there you scan your body there's lots of guided versions online scan your body from head to toe and notice the different sensations within it and then i usually like to pull the feelings wheel like we've talked about before and then okay what okay what sensations do you think that what emotion do you think those sensations are related to okay pick one or two whatever and it's usually at first people can't really pick a lot or they'll just say i feel relaxed okay is it relaxed you feel or pick the other is there another emotion on this wheel it can be it doesn't have to be a, a quote-unquote negative emotion it can be any emotion but just kind of starting there or, you know, you could even look at a picture that might be a little bit activating for you or read an article about, you know, something that might make you angry, for example, right? So maybe it's like a politician you don't like or, you know, a social issue that kind of gets you riled up and then do the body scan so that you could notice what the emotion feels like in your body. And and Mm -hmm. don't pick anything that's too activating, but just kind of, again, gentle way to start if you're going to do it on your own. Otherwise, obviously with a counselor, that's a great great place to do it because it's safe but but I think just kind of that would be where my starting point would be to just notice what's happening in the body mm-hmm. yeah actually that brings to mind imagery because I've been really into that as of late so imagining your angry self or imagining your anxious self and then just picturing it because in the same way that we when we think about really yummy food we start to salivate you know you can feel yourself getting hungry that's pure imagery, right? It's the Mm -hmm. same thing as imagining, oh, what am I like when I'm anxious? What does my body feel like? Obviously, it's probably a maybe further or a step up from the body scan because it does require some practice to practice imagery in a way that might elicit physiological responses. But it's also a nice way to just become aware of, oh, what do I feel when I make this artificial situation in my head? So it's still safe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then just start to notice it. So then when you become in a real life situation where someone's pissed you off, you're like, oh my God, this is what anger is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like This is what I feel. This is why my body feels like this. And just mm-hmm. the recognition. And then you don't have to even do anything about it. 
Mm -hmm. So I guess the, the next part is really like once you do feel those emotions or for anybody who already feels them and kind of gets swept away, it's how to regulate them is this can be for anything. It doesn't have to be empathy related, but I think we started this conversation about empathy when you're really feeling for someone else in that moment. So for example, I have to emotionally regulate all the time when I'm in a session with a client so that I don't start crying because that would be the worst thing to happen, right? So <laughs> so learning to emotionally regulate in general is really, really important. But obviously this can be used outside of empathy context if you're just feeling anxious or really sad or really angry. Regardless of what's happening internally, you want to be able to emotionally regulate it ideally. And what emotional regulation to me means that we feel emotion, we don't get swept away by it, we can let it sh be shown if there's a safe and appropriate time to do that. So at work or while commuting, those aren't necessarily a great times. Cry, for example. But in a therapist's office, that would be totally fine. Or if you're in your bedroom at home, like that, like those are safer places. And so it's fine to do those things there. We just don't want to, you know emotionally vomit everywhere all the time that'd be exhausting of, right so that's a big part of it so I like what you're saying about imagery I think that's really helpful so some emotional regulation I guess skills or ways to emotional regulate that I often use with myself and with clients so one is just similar to what you said in an imagery sense is that like physicalizing the emotions so imagine your emotion becomes a physical object and noticing what that object looks like and where it is in your body and what it feels like and the color and the temperature. And if you touched it, what, you know, is it hard or soft, hot or cold, right? So you're kind of, you're kind of playing with the emotion that way to make some room for it, right? Not to get rid of it. Often what people will say is that it feels less intense when they do that. And so that they are able to emotionally regulate and kind of go about their day. Another one that I really like is it's an acceptance practice that's... I mean, I don't actually think it has a name, but I call it observe, breathe, expand, allow. I might've mentioned this on the podcast before. I can't remember. But basically you're noticing where that emotion is in your body, what it feels like, how big it is, right? Those kinds of things. You're being very curious. So you have to kind of do this from a mindfulness perspective of you want to be very curious and open and not judgmental about it. This is just a, a feeling in my body right now. Where is it? What does it feel like? And then you breathe into it. So you send your breath there. So imagine your breath flows into that area. And sometimes I know that seems kind of silly. If you're feeling it in your, I don't know, arm, imagine your breath flowing into your arm. But yes, that is essentially what you're doing. So you breathe into it. You expand around it. So you imagine that space opens up inside you to create more room. So some people imagine this is like their body gets bigger or just that section of their body gets bigger. Or like, it doesn't really matter how you imagine it, but you're just imagining more spaces opening. And then the last step is just to allow it to be there. I don't have to like this emotion. I don't have to want this emotion, but I'm just going to let it hang out and do its thing while I do, you know, whatever else I want to need to do. And I find that with that, the more you practice it, I mean, the more you practice any of the stuff, the easier it becomes, but definitely that one is the first couple of times. It's still going to feel like, eh, not really sure how the, how well this is working. But again, with this one, a lot of people will say it feels less intense. I use this particular one on myself all the time. I think it makes the emotions feel less intense so that they don't overtake me. Mm -hmm. So they're still there and they're okay. And it, I think when you practice this stuff, you'll start to notice that your emotions are just okay. Being curious and kind of mindful about it is like, yeah, it's just, it's just a thing that's happening in my body. It's Maybe you might go into like, oh, why is this happening? But you don't even have to. It's just like, oh. So interesting. So interesting that this is happening right now, right? 
Mm-hmm. And then my third suggestion for like how to emotionally regulate is to use some self-compassion practices. So maybe it's a loving mm-hmm. kindness meditation or it's putting a hand on your heart or basically any, any kind of self-compassion practice that you like. Try using that because that also helps to make room for emotions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those are all really good things. I think that, yeah, big point is for people to know there's many different tools that are available to you free of charge Mm -hmm. available at any moment that you can use to self-regulate and self-regulation doesn't mean that you have to go see a professional or that you have to lay yourself down in a quiet room with no stimulation that's not at all no prerequisites for it there is different even things like slowing down your breath Mm -hmm. in an intentional way super easy breath is not super easy i take that back it is accessible There's apps for it. So one that I've used before is called Breathing Zone. It's free. And essentially, just by intentionally slowing down your breath, you're you're aiming to slow your physiology, right? Which then cycles back to your mind and it helps your mind also slow down if you are in a state of emotional distress or even just a more aroused state. It just kind of calms down your nervous system. And again, it's something that is available to you at any point. So imagery, breathing, physical touch, so hand in your heart, or even just self-talk, talking to yourself like you would your friends or things that are free and accessible. And so making a point to know that there are things you can do on your own without guidance necessarily <laughs> from healthcare practitioners that can help you emotionally regulate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just want to add on to that. Like, I, so I really like breathing exercises and I, Grace, I, I think you do too. Um, and there is a lot of research that shows that deep, deep breathing and different breathing techniques can really stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system, which puts us, puts us into that kind of rest and digest state where we feel more safe and connected. And that's really helpful. There are some people out there who cannot use their breath that way it actually makes things worse. And so if you're listening and that is you and you're like, oh, I'm fucking not using my breath. (laughs) Uh, I don't think we've ever sworn on this podcast before, but I'm just going to go with it. That's okay. You do not have to use your breath. You could, maybe it's just you, you know, noticing the feeling of your feet on the floor as a way to emotionally regulate, right? Or, you know, some other kind of like physical touch that isn't even necessarily hand or heart, but the way your body sits on the chair. Mm -hmm. You don't have to use your breath. The breath is just a really great way for a lot of people, but none of these things are perfect for everyone. So mm-hmm. kind of noticing that for yourself. And I also think like, yes, you can definitely learn to do all these things on your own. And I think there, you know, there are guided versions of a lot of the stuff online. You could try those out. We can even link some. I have a whole YouTube channel that's dedicated to this kind of stuff um, as well that I can link in the show notes if anybody wants to try it. But, you know, this is very easy to well, it's not easy to learn yourself, but you, it requires practice. So mm-hmm. you can learn it on your own. You can definitely practice. You can use any kind of self-help resource to do that, whether it's a book, a website, a YouTube channel, a TikTok channel, you know, like I, these are also things I post on my TikTok. It's only, I only post like coping skills on my TikTok. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, so the, those kind of self-help resources are available for you. Or if you're in a lot of distress, that's when maybe you would like to see a counselor to help you learn some of these skills. And the skills that I've mentioned today are really acceptance and commitment therapy based, right? So it's, like, it's a certain type of cognitive behavioral therapy. 
there are many different types of therapy and counseling and you can use skills from any of those and they will do the same thing. Every type of counseling will teach you how to emotionally regulate. And so these are not definitely not the only skills and some skills will work really well for some people. And some people will try these and be like, this is not going to work for me. And for those people, I often teach a lot of DBT skills for anger. So if you're feeling really angry, like a really good way to emotionally regulate is to have open palms, your palms facing forward and uh, half smile. Like you bring a half smile to your lips. Your mind is like, I can't be angry while I do these. Or I can't be as angry while I do these things. You'll still feel some of my anger, but you're probably not going to yell and scream at that point or throw things because of the way you're standing. So just, my point is there's lots of ways to emotionally regulate and these are, again, all things you can learn on your own, but depending on how you're doing, you may want to seek help as well. Mm-hmm. Just one quick note on that DBT technique of, you know, incorporating the open palms, so receiving and the half smile, things like that. As a personal note, that does not work for me, <laughs> but maybe with practice. So just giving an example that I already know that style, maybe right now doesn't work for me, or maybe I need to keep practicing it. And then I prefer, you know, these different ways of regulating. So everyone will have their own preference and reasons as to why maybe this one isn't that, like, doesn't really work for you. Do you just need more practice or does it feel, for me, the half smile, and this is just like my preference, Kelsey, is that it feels so fake, so ingenuine that I'm like, what am I doing? Who is smiling at Oh, and, but, and the half smile will feel like that. So like, that is uh, okay. But yeah, <laughs> right. It, the, it's, the point is that it's sending a different message to your brain. But yeah. Yes. To your point. And I think that's why I'm pointing out a couple different ways of doing it. Because not all these mm-hmm. techniques are great for everyone. You do need to practice to get any of them to work well. And also if it doesn't work for you, that's okay. There's thousands of techniques out there and skills mm-hmm. that you can use to emotionally regulate. So this is not, you know. There's just try other ones if the ones you mm-hmm. have tried don't work. And some will work yeah. different for some emotions and not work for other emotions. And so that's why there's lots to choose from. Yeah. And don't get discouraged if you try one and then you're like, wow, that really didn't work for me. It must mean that I can't emotionally regulate. That is not at all the narrative that we're <laughs> we're selling here. It's more that the same thing with anything. You have to try things, not you have to, but if you try things or are more open to things and multiple experiences, you're more likely to have success. And that goes for emotion regulation and for many, many other things in life. Exactly. Grace, do you have any final thoughts on this? Stuff? I feel like we, and this is another one I feel like we could keep talking about forever and ever, but I know I, you have a patient, so. Um, I do, yeah. No, I don't really, except to thank everyone for listening to my, like pretty much my own counseling session, I guess. <laughs> and, And I guess kind of nice to know that people are listening to my own internal struggles that when I'm in the counseling session, I'm thinking, oh, am I not, you know, like self-reflective enough or am I not, am I in distress? I don't actually know it. And all these things, even though we're making this podcast, talking about these things, I'm still sitting here struggling with myself about it. Right. So just making sure that people know that and that they listen to that is really nice. Mm. Yeah, and I hope everybody appreciates, you know, both of us trying to be pretty vulnerable and show that, you know, these are things that, yeah, we we still struggle with too and we're still working on and that's even, you know, in our professions and it's it's ongoing for everybody, right? And so Mm -hmm. none of this is easy and sometimes you might be really good at it and sometimes you might struggle more and that's totally okay and Mm -hmm. just keep going. But I hope the personal stories are helpful for people. The only other thing I would add is that there's this great quote 
And it's like a, a Buddhist proverb quote, but it says, pain is inevitable and suffering is optional. And I think this really ties into emotional regulation is that, yes, we're all going to feel emotional pain, whether that's from that empathy end to a, you know, our own struggles, we don't have to suffer, right? And how we interact with the pain. So whether you're pushing it down like the beach ball or struggling in quicksand, you know, that would lead to more suffering versus learning some of these skills to just let your feelings be there and not struggle with them, not push them away. That would be making suffering optional for yourself. Mm -hmm. Love that. (laughs) Okay, everyone. I think that's all we have to say on this topic for this week. Thanks again for tuning in and listening. We really appreciate the time you take out of your day to listen. And as always, we would love to hear your feedback, any of your own personal stories, any critiques about what you did like or you didn't like, and then make sure to rate us five stars on Spotify or any podcast listening apparatus. Yes. Thanks everyone. We'll talk to you next week. Okay. Bye. Thank you so much again for listening to today's episode. Make sure to connect with us on social media with your takeaways from the show any questions you may have, and let us know what topic you're interested in. Your support means so much to us, so please subscribe to the show, rate, and review if you enjoy it. We'll talk to you next week on Level Up Growth.